to throw is Darnold. Looks left. Fires one down the left sideline. Towards the end zone. Robbie Anderson. He's got it. That's a jet touchdown. Dumps it to Bell. And Le'Veon Bell takes it. It's for the touchdown. Crowder across the 30. 35 40. Crowder comes on the Jets. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. It's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim. And he's in. Touchdown, CJ And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. I'm your host, Ben Blessington. Uh, and obviously not a very positive podcast uh, incoming with the Jets dropping to 0-2 after a loss to the Cleveland Browns. We're going to break that down. We have a very special guest in the line. We're going to get to that in just a minute. You can follow this podcast at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow me at Ben W. Blessington on Twitter. And you can follow my co-host, Michael Nania, at Michael underscore Nania. Michael, you were at the Jets-Browns game on Monday night. Uh, before we get to our guest, just how you doing, man? And and uh, I'm hoping you, you're still in a, a good mood. At least you got to see Lack Edwards have a good game. Yeah, that is true. Did get to see uh, Lachlan Edwards have a good game. But yeah, I was actually kind of debating after all the news uh, with Darnold's injury and uh, everything else that happened, whether or not I should go. But I got the tickets a while ago and decided to go anyway. And it was a good vibe there. The environment was still really good. Probably would have been, you know, a lot better, really good if uh, Darnold was healthy, they won the first game, but the fans still showed up. It was really good. So it was still a lot of fun. It usually is. But uh, yeah, it definitely was a snooze fest of a game and things aren't looking too good right now. But uh, the reason we do this podcast, the reason it's called what it is, is because we're here to cool our jets and just look for the positive. <laughs> so I'm feeling good. And I'm kind of back on Twitter a little bit more, which is, you know, maybe not the best decision right now. But, you know, we'll yeah. see. I've had to break news to you because you haven't even been on. You didn't know about the whole Jamal Adams social media scandal and whatnot. And then it, you you talk about Donald injury. That's it's funny because last week we had we recorded a whole podcast just kind of you know breaking down the Bills game. Then I think you know like a few hours later the whole whole news with Demarius Thomas comes out. We we're like okay, so we should record another part of the podcast. We do that. We upload it, and then the next day, of course, all the news about Donald Donald and the mono and stuff drop. So we haven't really had a chance to talk about that, but we will in this podcast. But without further ado, let's get to our, our, our uh, guest on the line. Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, host of the Stick to Football podcast. Uh, TOJ alum, just one of the best guys you can follow for, you know, NFL content as a whole. And if you're a Jets fan, he's also a Jets fan, so you can you can get some Jets content in there uh, as well on Twitter. But Connor, how you doing, man? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. What's going on? Well, I mean, as I said to you before, I mean, we're, we're still trying to get over the, the 0-2 start. Um, but like Michael, you were at the game. Uh, so Connor, I'll, I'll just start with Jets fans need some positives. Obviously it's, it's been a rough stretch, uh, you know, going into to the bills game. I think a lot of Jets fans had maybe playoff hopes or whatever for the season, but it was supposed to be an exciting season. And in the span of about, you know, eight days or whatnot, they've gone through a fourth quarter collapse, losing a bunch of players to injury. They're starting quarterback to mono and then getting blown out on uh, national television. So Connor, uh, the job that I have for you right now is give some Jets fans some hope. Is there any positives you could take away from, from Monday night uh, looking forward in, into the, the next few weeks uh, for the Jets season? Yeah, well, I think at least at a minimum, it doesn't really look like they quit on their coach. It, they really, honestly, being at the game, it felt like the Browns could have won by 50. Uh, some of that was just Baker Mayfield's missing throws. Some of it was a Jets defense that knew they had to do everything possible to keep the team in it, which they did for uh, a lot longer than people thought, to their credit. Some of that credit goes to Greg Williams. A lot of that credit goes to the players on the defense. Without C.J. Mosley, without Quinn and Williams, and those things really matter right now because you know after losing Avery in the summer, they're down to two backup linebackers starting. 
Leonard Williams, for whatever reason, just seems to get worse every year. So it would be nice to have Quinton Williams out there uh, next to Henry Anderson and Steve McClendon, at least rotating in and, and getting some extra juice on the defensive line. So I think the defense is fine. I think Le'Veon Bell's been great. That's one thing. For all the concerns over that potential, uh, but that signing being a potential dud, I think all those washed away so quickly because he looks as good as he ever has. He's not getting any lanes to run with. He's creating his own yards, and he's still making things happen as a receiver and as a runner. So overall, I mean, guys, NFL teams rarely win without their starting quarterback, and the Jets are without theirs right now. I think it was evident he wasn't feeling well in the opener against the Bills, a game the Jets undoubtedly should have won. That's the most frustrating part in all of this. If you could have got out of this stretch with at least one win, the back half of this schedule is awful. I mean, it's absolutely awful. If Sam Darnold is back, C.J. Mosley is back, this team is healthy. When you look at it, they should win a lot of games on the back half of the schedule. And when I say a lot, I'm not saying they're going to make a run where they they win 10 games straight or anything like that, but they're not – this is not who the Jets are. The Jets aren't a great team, but they're not this bad of a team. And I think, once again, it's just it's awful timing. It's a tough schedule to start, and it's not going to get any easier going to New England while they're still this banged up. So they need to get to the bye week. They need to rest up, recover, and really restart. Yeah, and for me, just to add a few more positives from the Monday night game, and there are a few players who stood out. And I think you look at the defense, they mostly did a pretty good job. I mean, they only gave up 23 points. They've only given up... Uh, 20 points per game over the first two so far. So the defense has been pretty good. And Greg, you know, given all the injuries they've had to deal with, and they had no Mosley in this game, and all the other injuries they've had, Jenkins left this game, Copeland is suspended. They lost Avery before the season, so really banged up defense. But the defense still has been playing pretty well, and I think there were a couple guys that stood out in this game. Nate Harrison played in place of Tremaine Johnson. He's basically their number one corner in this game, and he did a pretty good job. He gave up that... uh, I think it was a 31-yard play to Beckham in the beginning of the game on that first drive, that which was a ridiculous one-handed catch. And I, I think the same corner of the end zone, he made the, made that one catch good, a couple it, years ago. Yeah, it was good coverage. Yeah, that and that was the only catch that Harrison gave up until garbage time later in the game. So he played pretty well. He made a couple of big hits. He had that one. Um, I think it was Njoku uh, yeah. knocked the ball out. So he made some plays. And, and Roberts, I think, had a good bounce-back game. He missed some tackles, but in coverage, he was pretty good. He didn't give up too much. And the, the interception, even though the Jets were already pretty much finished at that point, the interception against Beckham was a pretty good play. So uh, the corners, I think, played pretty decently other than missing some tackles. And Poole, too, he missed some tackles. And on, on the touchdown run by Nick Chubb, he missed a tackle. So similar to Roberts, he missed some tackles. But in coverage, the corners were pretty good, all things considered, I thought. Definitely improved over the first game. And with Johnson on the bench, I think that they improved. I think that's something they should probably stick with going forward, even though it doesn't look the best, uh, given the money. But... I, I, I think a thing that people have been talking about a lot on Twitter has been Leonard Williams. He's been a huge topic. He's been getting uh, a ton of criticism. We really expected him to potentially have a breakout season this year playing under Greg. And, you know, he hasn't gotten to play next to Quinn and Williams too much. But because a lot of different factors, contract year, really we're hoping for Leonard Williams to have a breakout season. But it hasn't happened yet. And this game in particular, I think he got about as much criticism as I've ever seen him get. He definitely... Had kind of a rough game, failed to finish a few sacks that he probably should have had. So, Connor, I want to ask you what you thought, because I haven't been able to go back and watch the film yet. And I'm sure you probably haven't either, because no one's really looking forward to that. But uh, what did you think of Leonard Williams' performance in this game? Is the criticism legit? Because for me, I'm I'm usually a backer of Leonard Williams. I think he gets way too much criticism. Uh, he's a really good player. He hasn't been dominant, but you compare him to the rest of that draft class. He looks like a decent pick in that slot compared to 
other guys that got taken in that round. So I think he's been a good pick for them and really underrated. I think he gets too much criticism. But this game in particular, he's gotten a lot of crit- a lot of criticism, more than he usually gets. So what did you think of how he played in this game? Yeah, I'm usually with you. I try to defend Leonard Williams as well. But this time, there's just really no way around it. This was a bad game for Leonard Williams. I think he hasn't really been – he hasn't offered much of anything as a pass rusher. And he really even has regressed as a run defender. I think when you take a player that early and he's that good as a rookie, you're expecting star talent. And for a while, he was just an above-average starter. And now he's really regressed to average to mediocre kind of starter. It's not good. And you're talking about a player that was expecting to get a really big extension after this season. I don't know how anyone can justify that right now, especially after drafting Quinton Williams, giving Henry Anderson a big extension in this offseason. Steve McClendon's been fine. I mean, they have – they're pretty deep on the defensive line where if Leonard Williams walked in free agency – or, I mean, I don't even know. Even if you moved him at the deadline, I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but to get something for him before the compensatory selection you get for him walking in free agency kicks in, it wouldn't shock me, and I don't think it would make much of a difference on this team. I know that sounds crazy to say, but he just it is a non-factor at this moment. I don't know what's happened. He just hasn't gotten better. There's a lot of different reasons of why something like that could happen. I don't have the answers for those right now. But at the end of the day, he, I, the Jets fans – for a long time, we're frustrated with his lack of sacks, but he was getting pressures. Now you're just not really seeing much of anything, and they have a right to be very frustrated with this player, and it, it kind of uh, puts a spotlight on Quinton Williams when he's back from injury to be an impact player so he can be the guy up front for the future, not Leonard Williams. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, we've talked about Leonard Williams in this podcast, and I think a lot of Jets fans had hope that once he was switching to Greg Williams' you know, scheme, he's going to be attacking more, he's not going to be reading and reacting, and he's going to have a big year. And look, it's week two, there's still time for him. But yeah, I mean, to this point in his career, he's an average player. He said he's a non-factor. I think he's great against the run, and I think he's below average, average against the pass. He does get some pressures, but how many times has he finished uh, you know, a sack or whatnot? Uh, anytime you draft a player in the top six, the top six who has you know the the label best player in the class, a generational talent, and he just plays like this, which is a you know he's a fine player, he's just not a great player. People are going to going to be disappointed. The Jets needed a big game from him if they're going to have any chance to win on Monday night, and they didn't get it. Um, so yeah, clearly the the, the disappointment you know uh, among Jets fans makes sense, and I agree with you. I think if there's an opportunity to move him for you know a fourth round pick. Maybe they'd get lucky with a third, but probably around the fourth or fifth round pick. I would do it because I don't think you'd see much of a difference on the field and you just give Joe Douglas more flexibility uh, when April comes. Michael mentioned Tremaine Johnson being benched, which was a little bit of a surprise, apparently, to you know Tremaine as well. Do you think that Adam Gay should take that same policy and enforce it on a guy like Leonard Williams or even on the offensive side of the ball, Ryan Khalil, the guy who, you know, they got, you know, to come out of retirement, but has been pretty unimpressive. And you could argue Jonathan Harrison has been playing much better in his, you know, 17 snaps or whatever he had at the end uh, of that Browns game. Do you think that Gay should should take that Tremaine Johnson policy and turn it towards some of the veterans that, that aren't impressing? I do, especially at center right now. I mean, with how bad Khalil has been, and this could go for, not just Khalil, but Brian Winters has not been very good either. And Harrison's somebody that could play center or guard. So you got to get a different look in the interior offensive line at some point. I think we're going to see that. It probably will start with center uh, with Khalil, not Winters, as much as it could really be a coin flip at this point. It's really frustrating. I think when you look at Leonard Williams, it's more of a rotational situation on the defensive line, which bodes well for him. Once again, if Quinton Williams comes back and he's expected to practice this week, which it would indicate that he is going to be back, Henry Anderson, Quentin Williams, and Steve McClendon might be your best defensive line trio on the field. 
uh, until Leonard Williams gets out of this funk, uh, if he does. And at a minimum, he's still playing. You're rotating him in, but maybe you play him on the interior on pass rushing downs and just try to get him to pin his ears back and get uphill going forward. So it can go for anyone. I think it's a great point. I think anybody that's underachieving uh, can see their reps decrease. And if your reputation you know, if you have a certain reputation, I don't think that matters anymore. I know people have asked Gase about Tremaine Johnson's salary. He said, I don't care about that. Adam Gase didn't sign Tremaine Johnson to that contract. He's here to win football games. And I think he didn't draft Leonard Williams. So once again, yeah, maybe Joe Douglas, Khalil was his first big move. But once again, I think with Khalil, he's just not ready to play. He came up to camp late. He didn't play in the preseason. He, he just looks really, really bad. I know his play tailed off at the end of his career in Carolina where he went from a Pro Bowl player to an average starting player. But right now, he's a significantly below average player, and that's not who he is. So maybe they do need to get Harrison in there and give something a different look uh, you know, going into this week before the bye. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the offensive line is definitely a place where the Jets probably could do the most rotating going forward. And like you said, with Johnson, he's a guy who Gase didn't sign. That was a Mike McCagden move, a guy who obviously Gase didn't want to work with. So that's not a guy who Gase has an attachment to. But with the offensive line, obviously Khalil was brought in, you know, once Adam Gase was already here. But just since he's only they only have the one year attachment to him, there's really nothing to lose in terms of putting him on the bench. But with Jonathan Harrison, I think you know, you don't expect too much out of him. He's probably a lower-level starting player, but that's a few tiers above what you're getting from Ryan Khalil right now. He's playing like a bad backup, really. So you go to Harrison, I think that, you know, he played he played the team last year. He's played with Shell and Winters and Beecham. Uh, you know, he played with them throughout the offseason, so the chemistry probably takes a step up because you have Khalil playing a, a position at center where you really have to have good camaraderie, good chemistry with the rest of the guys up front and not getting the chance to play with them in the preseason. He hasn't been able to get that. And working it out just in the beginning of the regular season is a really tough thing to do. But the other line positions as well, I think Beecham, Beecham was definitely the worst of the five guys up front in that Browns game. Miles Garrett just destroyed him in that game. He got him for two sacks. And there was a whole, there was one play where Robbie Anderson had a 31 yard catch. I think it was in the first quarter and Beecham had to hold Garrett to keep Simeon from getting sacked. And, so he had three penalties in that game, gave up the two sacks. But Beecham, too, I think, is a guy who could uh, potentially see some time on the bench. Truma Doga had a really good offseason. He stuck around, uh, got got some second-team reps in the preseason, so maybe they go to him. Alex Lewis, who they traded for, has played some left tackle. So the O-line really has been, aside from the injuries, the O-line has been the one unit that stayed completely healthy, and it's been the worst unit on the team, regardless of the injuries. So I think that's de- I definitely agree that that's what the one group that could see some change uh, over these next two games as they start off on this losing streak. But going back to Gase, and, you know, the Jets, we're now through two games here, and we know how banged up they've been, but this is an offense that's now scored 11 points in two games. And Adam Gase was brought here because of his abilities as a play caller, as an offensive mind. So for me personally, I don't want to put too much criticism on his plate just because of, you know, we know what they're dealing with. They're on their third-string quarterback now. We just talked about this O-line, the chemistry issues, and just, you know, the lack of talent that they have on that unit. So I don't want to put too much blame on him. They lost a Nunwa. Herndon's not playing. The tight ends that replaced him have been terrible. Between Griffin and Daniel Brown, Trevon Wesco hasn't played. So I don't want to put too much blame on Gase uh, in terms of the performance so far. But for you, Connor, what do you think of Adam Gase's play calling so far? There were a few things I had problems with in that game. Uh, the one thing that I had an issue with was the when they got down on the goal line, uh, on that first drive of the second half, they had third and two in the red zone, and they threw it a couple of times. I thought they probably should have handed it off to Bell. So things like that kind of concerned me a little bit, just situational play calling. But overall, in terms of the production, personally, I don't want to put too much 
too much blame on on Gase given the just what they're dealing with in terms of personnel. So for you, what do you think of Gase, just independent of the injuries, what do you think of how he's been able to coach this team from a play-calling standpoint so far? Yeah, you kind of nailed it. It's tough to judge it after the Monday night football game because, I mean, even Trevor Simeon barely played with how quickly the offensive line got him injured. And I think you make a great point about Beecham. He just simply was not good. And at some point you're going to have to give a look at Adoga, who was a very good pass protector in college at USC. So that'll be interesting to see how it shakes out because you can't have injury risk for Sam Darnold when he's back. And I think you look at the play calling. At first, I had some questions about the lack of creativity during week one, but you go back and watch it and guys are open. Uh, Sam didn't play well week one. He missed a lot of throws. Robbie obviously uh, was open deep a couple of times and Sam just couldn't hit him. So when it comes down to it, I think it hasn't been great by any stretch of the means, but I I think you kind of wash out week two and you'll do the same with week three because Luke Falk is in there, and, and Luke Falk is not a starting NFL quarterback. I think he's a guy with a, a high IQ and an accurate passer and kind of a smart player, but not a physically overwhelming kind of player. He has long-term backup written all over him, and they're going up to Foxborough, which is no easy task for any quarterback. So for Gase, it's tough. I, I want to see what this offense looks like when Sam is back, hopefully after the bye. Uh, you know, obviously with Le'Veon Bell, I think you make a good point that it's interesting they got away uh, from Le'Veon, the run game on that third and two on that drive, and they went for it on fourth down. If you know you're going to go for it on fourth down, you probably try to run it on third and two and then leave your options open on fourth down, but instead they passed it back-to-back times. So I didn't fully understood that. I thought they passed on third and two because they would have taken the field goal. And I do like Gase's aggressive nature. I think he's shown that this is not Todd Bowles. He will go for it in multiple scenarios. They'll go for two at times. We'll see how this kicking situation is figured out. So I can't sit here and say that I was the biggest Adam Gase fan before they hired him. I think he has a lot left, a lot left to prove, and a lot of that will really uh, hinge on the development of Sam Darnold here. But until he has Darnold back, you just really can't judge a guy's play calling on a third-string quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Gase was a guy, and you just you mentioned it. A lot of Jets fans were not in love with Gase, and especially the higher. I mean, Jets Twitter was on fire for about a day or two before Jets fans started to talk themselves into Gase. And I'm in that boat as well. I mean, I was not a big fan of Gase. The Jets hired him. I've slowly talked myself into him. And even right now, I mean, I, I still watch Gase in his press conferences, and I got I to gotta admit, I like him. I, I do believe him in, believe in him. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I, it seems like at times he just overthinks things and we know about his preparation, how much of a maniac he is, but that third and two call, I mean, it just seems like he gets in his head about things where he, he gets so focused on all these little details that he just doesn't keep it simple. And it's just a third and two run it with bell. And like you said, if you don't get it now, you have your options open for fourth and two, fourth and one or whatever. Uh, now, obviously the big concern w- with this Jets team and, and obviously people are, are you know, talking about the 0-2 start, but the thing Jets fans and, and people around the league keep pointing to is the next four games don't get any easier for the Jets. They have to go to Gillette, then they have a bye where they're going to sit on most likely an 0-3 record for another week. Then they're going to have to go into Philly, uh, which is one of the hardest places to play against a team you've never beaten in your franchise history, back home against a Super Bowl contender in Dallas and a team that looks insane right now, and then you're home for New England, another team that looks terrific right now so there's a very real chance that the Jets can start the season 0-6 two parts of this question one how likely do you think it is that the Jets do start the season 0-6 or do you think that Darnold coming back and get the Jets some some you know juju and that they can they can steal one of these games and make up for blowing a game against Buffalo or whatnot uh and then the second part of that question is if the Jets start 0-6 or you know continue in this, on this downward spiral throughout the season 
How in, you know, how much is, is Gase's job in jeopardy, do you think? Do you think this is a situation where he could be not even make it through the season? He could be one and done. Or do you think his friendship with Joe Douglas, the fact that he got McCagnan out and got Douglas in, the fact that he's had to fight through all these injuries and, you know, his quarterback's been battling mono, do you think that will save his job? So first, starting with the, the likelihood that the Jets could start 0-6, and then second with, with Adam Gase's job security. Yeah, I think unfortunately it's very likely just because you gave away that game to the Bills, and I think the Jets would have been very competitive with the Browns if they had Darnold out there. So, you know, you go into those games and you think, hey, we could win these two, and then it gets really tough. You just giving away the game to the Bills is a nightmare. Uh, you're not going up to Foxborough and winning with Luke Falk. That would be absolutely insane. Uh, like you said, going to Philadelphia is where I have the problem with that one because I think at home with Darnold back and Mosley back, hopefully we'll see – the Jets would have a chance. The Eagles have been up and down so far. I think they're a very, very good team. I actually picked them to win that division, but I think you can actually steal one at home against them. Going to Philadelphia is really tricky. Like you said, Dallas looks amazing right now. Now, of course, things can change in a month's span, but Dallas looks really good. Them coming to MetLife, it, those are really one of the two games you got to steal. It doesn't seem like it, beating New England in that stretch is going to be uh, you know, possible. I hate saying that, but it's just the nature of the way things are right now. So, you're right. You've got to steal one from the NFC East. It's got to be either Dallas or the Eagles. Uh, I think this defense steps up to the occasion. They really do. It's what are you going to get from Sam Darnold? And uh, what are those secondaries going to look like when they play them? Jalen Ramsey's on the trade block right now. That, you know, if, I don't think the Jaguars would trade him within the conference. Maybe they would. But it seems like an NFC East team makes the most sense for him if somebody's willing to pay that kind of cost. That's also TBD. So an 0-6 start is possible. It, I mean, it's very realistic right now. Now, for Adam Gase's job, it's all about how he finishes. Now, Joe Douglas, just because they're friends, that doesn't matter. I mean, Joe Douglas got the six-year deal. Adam Gase got the four-year deal. That kind of tells you who has the security and who's going to be making the decision. Now, will Gase be a one-and-done? It's possible, but I think it is a little unlikely because you go down the stretch here. I mean, the Jets play Miami twice. They play Jacksonville. Who knows when Nick Foles is going to be back, but they play them in October. They play the Giants and the Redskins, the Bengals and the Raiders. Uh, you know, the Ravens, they look absolutely great. That's a tough one. The Steelers don't have Big Ben. And then you play the Bills at Buffalo to close things out. Uh, the Jets should have beat them week one. So it kind of screams like this team can win six, seven games in this season. And, and you're going in with an optimistic thought. And Adam Gase sits there and rides on the excuse that he didn't have Sam Darnold to start the season. And then there you go. And that's your excuse built in. So Gase getting... You know, more than this season wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't because of how things are projected. The week schedule, the injury to Darnold as an excuse, uh, Joe Douglas maybe not liking the coaching market this year. That's something you have to keep in mind here, too, guys. Uh, we don't really know what the coaching market is going to look like. So when it comes down to it, now Greg Williams is a really interesting one because he jumps around so much. And, you know, Gase will, if Gase doesn't get let go, there's always blame to go around. So that's a really interesting scenario. And, and I think when it comes down to it, Joe Douglas is going to have the opportunity to hire his own coach if he wants it, and he doesn't have to hit the panic button after one year to do that. Now, if the returns on Sam Darnold are not what they thought they were getting, because keep in mind ownership hired Adam Gase for Sam Darnold, then the plug will be pulled really quick. But if Sam has a strong finish down the stretch in those final eight games, then Gase is going to be here for at least another year. Yeah, and, and you talked a lot about the, the soft schedule that they have to finish the season. And, you know, before the season, I don't like to look. It's it's hard to look too much into how good or bad a schedule is going to be. And I always look back to the 2015 season the Jets had when that looked like it's going to be a it looked like it's going to be a brutal schedule. But then 
the season goes on, and that turned out to be an absolute cakewalk of a schedule. You had Tony Romo's injury. Uh, you had a few teams that weren't as the Miami we thought were going to be was going to be good that year, but they weren't good. Uh, so things really change once the season starts. But it does seem like that midseason stretch really is a place where the Jets can kind of make up this early season ground. Now, can that be? Can they win enough games to get back into the playoff picture? Probably not. If they can't, you know, steal at least two of these first six games. But you look at those midseason games. It does seem like that they can make a run in the middle of that season. And, you know, it, I look at those two AFC South teams last year. That's kind of my the hope I keep looking at. The Texans started out 0-3 last year. They wound up winning 11 games in that division. The Colts started off 1-5, and and they took that division. But obviously the Colts had Andrew Luck. But I, the Texans are an interesting comparison to me because you look at they had Deshaun Watson, a second-year quarterback, like the Jets having Sam Darnold, and another guy who kind of didn't miss any games last year but did deal with a few health issues, and they also had offensive line questions last season. So uh, that's kind of my fantasy hope looking at those two teams. But obviously, if the Jets are going to be able to make any sort of playoff chase, uh, they're going to have to really run through that midseason schedule. Hopefully, you know, they're going to have to get like a, you know, maybe lose max two games, get like a 10 and two finish, uh, 11 two finish like the Texans had last season. Hopefully steal at least one, maybe two of these first six games. But, you know, looking forward and talking more about Gase and just, uh, some of the issues that he's had to deal with so far. I, I think for me, one of the big losses that the Jets have been dealing with that's really affected this team a lot more than I think uh, a lot of people are talking about is Chris Herndon. I think the drop-off from him to what the Jets have gotten from their tight end so far has been really drastic. You look at the blocking that uh, Ryan Griffin and Daniel Brown have brought to this team so far, and Ryan Griffin has been playing pretty much every snap throughout these first two games. So he's been out there playing a huge role, but his blocking has not been good, especially in pass protection He's whiffed on quite a few blocks. I think he's been in on, uh, I think, three sacks already throughout these two games. So, uh, and Brown's played limited time. His blocking hasn't been there. Uh, in the receiving game, they've given you nothing. Griffin has 10 yards through two games on five targets, which is just not going to get it done. And uh, obviously, Daniel Brown and Trevon Wesco have no catches so far. So, in the receiving game, they've given the Jets absolutely nothing. In the blocking game, they've been just atrocious. So, what do you think of what the Jets, how, how big do you think that this loss has been? For the Jets so far, do you how big of a difference, g given the quarterback, uh, the issues at quarterback, Sam Darnold being sick in the first game and then the injuries that they dealt with with Trevor Simeon against the Browns and Luke Falk playing most of this game. How big of an impact do you think Herndon would have if he was healthy throughout these two games, if the Jets had the same issues at quarterback? And then going forward, uh, how much of a plus do you think it's going to be to have Herndon back us uh, starting with that Cowboys game in week six? Yeah, well, it's gigantic, and you make a great point about his ability as a blocker. I mean, he really, really could help this offensive line. He can help the run game with Le'Veon Bell. He could help a young quarterback, backup quarterbacks, because he's such a great middle-of-the-field target and really good after the catch as well. So it's a gigantic loss. I mean, the Jets knew – they just really needed him week one, and they still should have won the game without him. Week two, he would have helped the quarterbacks. I don't think it would have been a difference between a win and a loss by any stretch of the means. But you need him in that stretch run. You don't have him for the first four games. And maybe that's why, you know, maybe you could try to steal one at home from Dallas with Chris Herndon back. That's a tough defense, a defense that can run with tight ends. But still, you need all hands on deck. And I think he'll be a really key target down the stretch and against those weaker teams. Sam, This is Sam Darnold's guy. I mean, it really is. Sam Darnold targets him a ton. And he looked like one of the better tight ends in football towards the end of last season with some of the performances he had as a receiver and, once again, overall as a blocker. So, the loss of Chris Herndon has quietly been 
extremely significant for multiple reasons. I mean, once again, the pass protection, they want to run to the outside with Bell and get Bell working on the outside. Herndon can help with that. Uh, He's really a safety valve for any quarterback. So it's been huge. They'll be looking forward to getting him back. I don't think anyone ever expected this to be a four-game suspension. When I was talking to some people inside the building for the Jets, they thought it would be one to two games. So this blindsided them. And it's clearly taken a big toll on them and will continue to do so. But at the same time, at least he'll be back healthy when they're going to really, really need to get on a roll. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Chris Herndon being absolutely blindsided. I mean, Jets fans were as well. I mean, yeah, he he is Sam Darnold's guy, as you said. I mean, you saw it in the preseason. uh, I think it was against the Giants where the play broke down and he was just able to find his man in Chris Herndon. I think that's what they missed in week one is that Sam Darnold was getting these, you know, these looks from the Bills that were confusing him, and he was under pressure and whatnot, and he just didn't have that guy he felt completely comfortable with. Ryan Griffin is uh, you know, a fine tight end, but I don't think he's a good or even an average tight end uh, by, by any stretch of the means. The other concern for me is now that Anunua has gone down with the neck injury, now Demarius Thomas re-enters his hamstring in his first, you know, what was it, first quarter as a Jet. Uh, this yeah. receiving room is, again, very thin, and that's been the concern for us. I mean, obviously, Anderson has talent. He's one of the best deep threats in the league, but he's been somewhat inconsistent and at times can disappear in a game. Uh, obviously, Crowder is going to be a high-volume uh, reception guy. But outside of that, I mean, it's you're looking at you know Bellamy, maybe a guy like Braxton Berrios can make a, an impact towards the end of the season. But the receiving room uh, is very thin as well. How much of a concern is that for you? Not only just for this week, because obviously we're not expecting the Jets to win with Luke Falk, but when Darnold comes back, he'll get Herndon back, but then he's just looking at, again, another thin re- receiving room and an offensive line that has shown to this point that has not been able to protect him. Are you worried uh, about throwing Sam Darnold out there, um, you know, whether it's week four, week five or week six, uh, and him just having no time and no receivers and him just kind of getting smothered and, and potentially, you know, hurting his confidence as the season keeps going? Well, I think the offensive line and pass protection is a huge question mark. But as for the targets, I think Chris Herndon being back is more of a significant upgrade than when Anunua was on the field. I really think Herndon is that kind of player for Darnold. And it kind of changes the personnel looks you can have there. I think that's most important, too. When you have Anderson and Crowder and Herndon on the field and obviously Lev Bell, I mean, those are the skill guys that are this offense really, really runs through. It really does. So it'll be interesting to see if they go to some 12 personnel and keep two tight ends on the field, if they start to get Wesco involved as a blocker with Herndon as the threat as the pass catcher, uh, if they go to a two-back set. I mean, maybe we'll even see some 22 personnel where Montgomery gets on the field and they could run things, you know, really, really tight and try to give Donald as much time as possible, as much extra protection as possible with Anderson as the lone receiver and the deep guy. So there's a lot of different things they could do when this offense has a tight end. And right now it doesn't. It really does not have a tight end. So that's been huge. And that goes back to not only just as pass catchers, but in pass protection. So you're always going to have concerns about protecting a young quarterback with an offensive line that does not look good. But there's nothing they can really do about that right now in this moment on that, you know, in that room, in that offensive line room. What they can do is supplement the pass protection with more, uh, more help from the tight end, more help from the running backs to get Sam Donald on the move, roll him out. He's really good throwing on the run. So that's the things you have to look forward to when he does return. Yeah, and you brought it up earlier. He really was one of the better tight ends in the league uh, over that stretch of finish this season. It, it wasn't until, I think, uh, it was week six last year in that game against the Colts where he started getting regularly uh, involved in the off- in the passing game. He was playing over the first few weeks, but uh, he didn't really get those targets until week six. And then from that point through the end of the season, he was a top 10 guy really across the board 
uh, in all the receiving categories, touchdowns, yards, receptions. But uh, it was the blocking, too. His pass protection was – I thought his pass protection was really solid. His run blocking, I think, picked up at the end of the season, started a little slow. But uh, really, overall, he did kind of seem, as a rookie – and rookie tight ends really don't have great seasons too often. That's one of the positions that uh, rookies usually don't come in and play that well as frequently as other positions. But uh, as a rookie, he definitely came on towards the end of the season and, and was one of the better players at the position – in the league. So the Jets have been missing him. But uh, another guy that uh, I think I talked about him earlier, but kind of brought him up briefly. But uh, Nate Harrison kind of he, he made his Jets debut and he played a pretty big role uh, in this game against the Browns. So I thought he played pretty well. Like I said, he only gave up uh, that one catch of Beckham, made a few uh, made the big hit on David Njoku, made a few other tackles and overall coverage stayed uh, pretty quiet throughout that game. And, you know, he's an interesting guy because he comes over from the Colts, a team that has uh, a really deep secondary, so they were able. Uh, he was expendable over there uh, because of the amount of good players that they have in that room. But he's a third-year guy who, you know, as a rookie, was pretty good in the slot. They changed up their scheme a little bit last year, brought in some new players, uh, and they moved him outside, and he struggled a little bit. So, you know, it seemed like the Jets were expecting him to come in and, and be that backup slot guy to Brian Poole, be that fourth cornerback. But uh, turns out Tremaine Johnson is so bad that they got to throw him in there and cover Odell Beckham on Monday night. But he went in there and played pretty good for the most part. Uh, and just as a younger guy and you look at him play, it seems like he has the athletic ability, just, you know, the quick hips, the ability to be fluid in coverage uh, to potentially, you know, still have his breakout ahead of him and potentially be, uh, you know, maybe even if not a great player, just an OK starter at outside cornerback. And for the Jets, that would be a huge plus for them right now. So what did you think of Nate Harrison in his debut and what do you think he can bring to them going forward? Well, I thought it was promising because he was a clear upgrade from what they've been trotting out there since July. I think Harrison's a pretty scrappy player. Uh, He's obviously not the biggest corner in the world, but he did look fluid. He really did, and he puts up a fight in coverage. Where The problem I keep telling people were true is it's clear that he can't run anymore. I mean, he sits back on guys. He gives them so much room underneath, and when he does press up, he gets beat across the field or over the top. And at the end of the day, when, when your legs are gone as a corner, and True's never been a fast player. I think, you know, in that draft year he had, he was kind of a four six five kind of player, so that relied on his strength at the line of scrimmage and his instincts. Uh, when you get closer to 30, you just simply can't play corner at that speed as that speed starts to get worse. So I understand them benching him because he, he right now is not an NFL starting caliber corner. doesn't matter how much money he's made. That was always a mistake. And I think when you look at it, I really do like Brian Poole. I think Brian Poole is your perfect example of when Buster Stream first signed with the Mets to play slot corner. It's just feisty, you know, a great tackler, just a great tackler, plays with an edge and can really hang underneath. So I think Brian Poole has been a quiet bright spot in all of this. I'm not saying he's an elite corner by any means, but I think in terms of third corners in the slot, you can definitely get by with him. I think Daryl Roberts has is, is always been the same guy. He just is that mediocre starter on the outside. This group is by no means good, but Harrison replacing Tremaine Johnson was a clear upgrade where if they could start to get some pressure on the quarterback, uh, they can get by and try to keep this offense in games when Sam is back. That's the most important thing. Once again, I mean, the Browns, who have a plethora of weapons, I don't care who was hurt or who came out of the game, they have a plethora of weapons and a quarterback that everybody has anointed as a top-ten passer already. Uh, They missed a lot of opportunities in this game, and I think the Jets' defense had Baker Mayfield confused at times. So if I know we're on the show and we're, we're obviously very disappointed with the state of the team right now, but if you're looking for some kind of bright spot, I think Harrison's play, it gives you a sign of life on the back end of the secondary right now. 
Yeah, he was impressive to me as well. He was definitely a guy that, that stood out. And the cornerback group as a whole, as you talked about, got looked like they got better without Tremaine out there. Uh, now, Connor, before we uh, switch to some New England questions, then wrap it up, uh, I think we should address uh, maybe the Jets' Twitter meltdown uh, that happened, uh, I believe it was yesterday, with Jamal Adams you know, uh, removing the team from his bio and unfollowing them. He claims he never, was never following him on Instagram in the first place. But... You know, outside of the Jets, you know, starting poorly, you can attribute that to, to injuries or whatnot. But probably the worst case scenario for the Jets uh, outside of starting 0-6, I guess, uh, is that Adam Gase, and we know he's had some history with with some players and some locker room issues or whatever, uh, kind of just blowing up the locker room, I guess, is the biggest concern. It's it's easy in the summer to say that this team has great chemistry and whatnot, but if the Jets go 0-6 and, and then let's say they can't beat Jacksonville and then they're 0-7 and, and the, the snowballs, um, are you kind of are you worried about Gase and his history uh, about the, this locker room just completely blowing up in his face? People requesting trades, they becoming a toxic environment, and then that's a situation where Joe Douglas is really going to have to probably remove Gase uh, and find somebody else. Or, or do you think this is one of those things where you know Gase has clearly been the leader? You talked about how the team was playing hard still, uh, and that that they will be able to fight through this. Well, I think it's always going to be a concern with any coach. I think with Adam Gase, especially considering his reputation now. I think for Jamal, I understand the frustrations because he wants to win. And I think, once again, this is a team that's been put in a bad spot without their starting quarterback and with various other injuries. And I think you need your leaders like Jamal Adams to regroup and be ready to go for a stretch run. If they start out 0-6, you need to look at that schedule and go, okay, we got to start winning games right now. we got to rip off the next 10. That needs to be your mindset as an athlete. And I think Jamal... Uh, when the dust blows over and things settle, he'll get back to that. I really do. Obviously, Le'Veon is a very passionate player as well. So for Adam Gase, it's, you know, if this team, we're going to see it on the field, guys. If this team is fighting down the stretch and they do start to win those games, your concerns about the locker room go away. But if they look absolutely dead and they're losing to the likes of whoever it is, whether it's the Bengals, the Raiders, the Dolphins, then you, you already know. That's the great thing about football. When, the, when, you, you, know, when you strap on a helmet, you see what you need to see and you learn everything, no matter how many quotes you read throughout the week or how much film you watch. Uh, when a new game starts, you could tell who's playing with, you know, uh, obviously who's playing on fire, who's ready to go, who still cares. And, and there's no hiding from that. We've seen it recently. I mean, the team has quit on Rex before the team has quit on Bowles before, and we'll see if it happens with Adam Gase. And uh, there's that you, that's something you simply cannot hide. Yeah. And if there's one guy who I think we can all kind of count on, uh, to not quit on this team. It, it's definitely Le'Veon Bell, who throughout two games so far has been, you know, maybe the best running back in football, just given the way that uh, he's been able to get more than what's been blocked for him so far. But uh, watching him has just been absolutely incredible with everything else that's been going on. And it re it really shined in garbage time this game when the Jets were just completely out of this game already. Bell just kept making play after play, fighting for every single yard. But uh, I think we kind of up earlier, you said it, uh, that this was one of the question marks of the offseason. Did the Jets overpay Bell? Uh, is he going to be rusty coming off of the year off? But uh, And I think that was one of the big no question one marks. No one knows. Yeah. Was he going to be rusty or was he going to be fresher? But it's definitely been the latter. He's been great so far. But uh, what what have you thought of his performance so far? Because, you know, obviously it's been fantastic. But uh, from what you've watched so far, just how, how great has he been uh, for this team so far? And just comparing him to, you know, what we've seen from Jets running backs in the past, what we've seen uh, from some of the elite guys uh, in the NFL over the past few years, and Bell himself uh, back in his Pittsburgh days. Just how great has his play been so far? Because, you know, for me, just seeing 
this is an offensive line that's given him nothing. Just time after time, he's had to make guys miss. As soon as he touches the ball behind the line, he's leading the league in missed tackles. He's led the league both weeks uh, so far, had nine against the Bills and 11 this week. So 20 missed tackles already through two games, which is not uh, a good indictment on the offensive line or the offense as a whole. But uh, from his perspective, it just shows how much value he's already bringing to the table uh, in terms of bringing what uh, getting production that the team is not creating for him. And I think it's really easy to say, uh, really easy to look at the way this team has played, this O-line has played, and uh, just kind of figure that if they had an average running back back there, then maybe they wouldn't have scored at all to this uh, to this point so far, even though they haven't been good overall. So what, have, what just what have your general thoughts been uh, on Bell throughout these two games? I mean, what more can you ask for? He's been great in pass protection. He's caught every single thing that's come his way. He's breaking tackles. He's creating yards after contact. There's not much room there thanks to a poor offensive line and just overall poor uh, run blocking from whoever it is, tight ends and everyone involved. And he's he's making the most of it. He really is, and he's playing hard. You see him play in the fourth quarter, even at the end of the fourth quarter. He's giving it his all. He really does care. So for Le'Veon, there's literally no more you can ask of him. I agree. He's been one of the best running backs in football this year. He's Le'Veon of old. If Le'Veon keeps on the pace he's on throughout his career, he'll be a Hall of Fame running back. That's how good he is and how good he's been. And I think most importantly, just the passion he plays with has brought a different attitude to this team. Uh, even if they do start out you know, losing a lot of games, the only reason they're even a threat is because of him right now. Without Sam Darnold, you need Le'Veon on the field handling the ball 30, 31 times a game like he did Monday night. So, uh, I mean, he's the furthest thing from the problem, which if you're looking for Jets' bright spots, uh, that signing looks like a home run. And also, most importantly, you know, Le'Veon's not here for one year. Le'Veon's here for the next three years. So you want to see this kind of production from a do-it-all running back. He really is a receiver as well as a running back. So just a phenomenal start for Le'Veon. And, and, you know, knock on wood, but I don't think he's going to be fading anytime soon. Yeah, we, we certainly hope not as Jets fans. And I, I am excited to just see Sam Darnold at full health with Herndon and Bell. I mean, I, I'm bummed that a, that a noon was not out there. But even throwing in Anderson and stuff, I, I still believe in this offense. Uh, but certainly between health issues and, and the offensive line and, and just those little things that Adam Gase keeps mentioning that, that just keep bringing this offense down. But it's a long season. There's plenty of time. Now, looking forward to this weekend, Connor, um, obviously most Jets fans are not expecting to win. They're down to their pretty much their practice squad QB. Uh, it doesn't seem like Mosey's going to play. It does seem like Quinn might play. Um, but overall, just, yeah, the Jets are banged up. Uh, they're you know pretty much demoralized, and, and New England is, is one of, if, ne- if not the best team uh, in the league at Gillette. Uh, the Jets have you know, won at Gillette in a regular season game. Uh, I believe it was Brett Favre versus Matt Castle in 2008. Um, so obviously the Jets should not win this game. But, uh, Connor, is there anything you can say as, to far, as far as if the Jets were to win this game, what the, the keys to victory would be, if there's any sort of blueprint as to how the Jets could potentially upset uh, New England? Uh, and if there's not, I guess, uh, what, are, you know, what should Jets fans be hoping to see, even if they don't come out with the win? Is, is there a, you know, a possibility where, where the Jets play uh, New England tight and they can still go into the bye week, even if they're 0-3, not completely demolished? Because the last thing it you know seems like this team needs is another crushing blowout or you know to, to to really tank the season. But I guess just give some Jets fans some hope for this weekend, whether or not it's a blueprint to victory uh, or just uh, you know a positive outcome uh, from this Sunday. Yeah, I mean you're gonna you're gonna need points from all three phases of the game, guys. You're gonna need your offense to score some points, but you're gonna need special teams and defense to do the same. Whether that's obviously creating turnovers and taking it back, we might need to see the coming out party of Quinton Williams if he does get back to practice this week. He might need to have the game of his life already 
uh, not just in his NFL career, obviously, but his football career, uh, getting after Tom Brady from the interior. And I think most importantly, once again, they're going to have to really their identity is going to be Le'Veon Bell. New England knows that. They're I mean, come on, they're one of the they're one of the smartest. We uh, have the smartest head coach of all time right now. So they're going to be ready to go, winning on the road there. I mean, obviously the chances it's a twenty three and a half point spread, so nobody thinks the Jets even have a chance. Uh, we might see a fake punt in this one or a fake field goal wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you really need to come out. I go for it on fourth down all the time. Why not at this point? Look at New England, what they have. I mean, Antonio Brown is on the field for them right now. They're absolutely loaded. It's absolutely ridiculous. So if you're looking for any optimism from the Jets, I do think, unlike Todd, Todd Bowles was content a lot of the times, just losing whatever it was, 30 to 12 or, uh, or you know, going into the week. I think Adam Gase will at least go with a fight in this one. And it's tough to say that, like you said, with a practice squad quarterback. That's the perfect way to put it. But I think at the end of the day, they'll at least uh, maybe empty the bag of tricks, even if that bag of tricks is being uh, run by the reserves in this game. Yeah, I, I guess the my summary of it would be uh, just play him close and, and hope for no injuries. Uh, lastly, last question, and I know Michael wants to touch on this. Uh, you guys both got to see him in person, and I got to see him on, on television. The Jets debuted their stealth black uniforms. Connor, I don't know if you're much of a uniform guy, but Michael and I, that's pretty much all we care about on this podcast, are the aesthetics. <laughs> and, and no no content, just, just the aesthetics. Uh, but Michael, I know you wanted to talk about them. Obviously, they look they look good on TV. Uh, first time the Jets got to wear you know a, a black a, a, as their primary color. They they painted the end zones. It, it did remind me of the Eagles all blacks or the Ravens all blacks. And certainly when the Jets are hopefully a, a good team, they they'll be fun to to bring out in prime time. But Michael, uh, I know you wanted to talk about these uniforms, so I guess I'll give you the mic on this one. Yeah. So first of all, for me, and now we've seen all the uniform colors. We've seen the well, we haven't seen the all green set, but we've seen all three or the white on colors. Green. Oh, yeah, and the white on green. But uh, we've seen all the jerseys and pants. But I think a big thing, especially with new uniforms, is you want them to be associated with winning. So now that uh, the Blacks are associated with that game we just saw, it's going to leave <laughs> a bad taste in our mouths until they could uh, maybe make up for it in that New England Monday night uh. game. But they, they did. <laughs> I think they did look pretty good. The uniforms are pretty good. But the one thing that I was kind of questioning was, I, I don't know if I like the black end zones. It kind of wasn't, I don't think it was like, dark enough like it was kind of grayish to me. <laughs> I, maybe it's just because the old green like the the dark green they had i was kind of mixing it up with that like so it kind of looked like an off green it, or something it feels but, like they could have done more with it I, I agree with that but it's better than the the naked end zones that they had week one it is better but i think that it should have I, it just wasn't i don't know it didn't work too much for me the uniforms are really good though i do like the all black it's great for great for monday night game looking forward to those the, wait that I was mean, all I, <laughs> i'm sorry <Connor. laughs> Yeah, I really, I mean, I really liked them, honestly. I didn't think I would. It was actually my least favorite of the uniforms when they released them. But I think on occasion, they're fine. Primetime, Monday night, obviously not the great debut with them. I think the best, just to, you know, kind of leave it at this, the best one to me is the one we haven't seen yet, and that's the all-white. I think the all-white will be the cleanest look in these new Jets uniforms. Yeah, I mean, we we at least got to see them in preseason, but I agree with you. I, I think yeah, I actually when I went to that Falcons game, that's what they were wearing in the the preseason game. Those were th- those are definitely better than the blacks. Seeing them both in person, the all whites are really good because since they have the brighter green now and it's not like the darker green, the hunter green they used to have, it, it really stands out a lot more and it makes the helmets look really good when they're all whites. Yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, what what. I- 
Adam Gase, or I think it was Sam Darnold. These look like it just matters how we play in them. But yeah, I mean, the all whites are kind of just anonymous with, with you know, the New York Jets. I mean, I guess not fully, but the Jets did win their only Super Bowl in them. They obviously went on those uh, back-to-back AFC championship runs and they were wearing those a lot. So yeah, I agree with you. I think the all whites are probably the cleanest look. I'm excited to see them on that Thursday night game against the uh, the Ravens. I hope they go all white versus maybe the Ravens all, all uh, purple or whatnot. But Connor, I, I know that was uh, an aesthetical question to end, but you know, right now with the Jets in at 0 and having to face uh, about three uh, three Super Bowl contenders in the next four games. I think this is all we have uh, to look forward to. But again, Connor, thank you so much for joining us. Um, but I'll, I'll give you an opportunity because uh, I know you you do a lot of great work with Bleacher Report. You won, you, won, uh, you run, there you go, I got it, one of the best uh, football podcasts, if not the best football podcast out there on Stick to Football. So is there anything, uh, Bruin, anything you, you'd like to plug or promote uh, as far as uh, content that you and Bleacher Report are coming out with? Well, thanks so much, guys. Uh, it's always great talking to you guys, and uh, I really love this show that you started together. I think you guys have an awesome chemistry. But over at Bleacher Report, yeah, we're going to be in Madison, Wisconsin this weekend for uh, Wisconsin-Michigan, one of the bigger college games this weekend. And, I mean, we're going to be all over the place. I'm going to be at USC-Washington the week after that, then Red River down in Dallas. So it never really ends. Uh, it's a good thing for me and a good thing for Jets fans. I can really look at Maybe some of the players will take in the top 10 of next year's draft or <laughs> top 15. We'll see. And it's just been a really, really fun season so far. Let's look the football bleacher report. Well, Connor, thank you so much again for joining us. And, and I think you're right. I think uh, just keep an eye on those offensive linemen, maybe maybe a few corners. I know Joe, Joe Douglas will be watching them uh, as well. But, Connor, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Michael, you're going to chime yeah, in? Yeah, and let, let us know which uh, three-technique tackle we're going to take uh, <laughs> at number six next year. You're clear of that. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Later. See ya. And again, that was uh, Connor Rogers, Bleacher Report, Stick to Football, one of one of the best guys out there. And, and so glad that he could join us uh, for this podcast. And, and Michael, I, I guess we'll just we'll close it up here. But uh, really excited that we got to talk to him. Uh, I know it's things seem gloomy right now for the Jets. I, I do believe that they'll turn it around um, as far as big picture stuff goes. I mean, Look, I don't think they'll win on Sunday. I think that they'll play relatively close. Uh, I think they'll play closer. I think they'll play at, at a similar level that they played Cleveland on Monday. I think you just might see a, a few more touchdowns on the board. I think Adam Gase will be a little bit more aggressive with this play calling because you saw as soon as, as Falk went in there, he didn't really let him throw down field until the end of the game. And by that point, it was it was pretty much uh, too late. So I think the Jets will play him tight. Um, but but you know, I think New England will still win by a. Uh, you know, two scores or whatever. I, I would take those uh, those odds, though. I think it's New England minus 23 or something, 23 and a half. Uh, I would definitely take those. But, yeah, as far as big picture stuff, I, I do think Darnold comes back. I think they can win one of those those games. Uh, I, I hope it's uh, against Philly because I think I'll probably be at that game. Uh, and then once they just can get through that New England game, if they're one in five, it, you know, obviously it's dark. But then they have they have winnable games. Uh, and you know maybe they go on a bit of a run. I think they'll I think they'll fall just short, but I think you'll see enough of of Sam Darnold's growth and the improvement of the offense and stuff to be excited about that where the Jets can go in knowing that they have a guy who's making the decisions this this uh, offseason that's going to definitely get them in a better place. And so I think that's the big thing. I mean playoffs are obviously the Jets are going to keep fighting and, and you know hope like you said the Texans or the Colts can can make a playoff run you know late in the season and, and sneak in, but. If not, as Connor said, I think you're just looking to watch Sam Donald's development. You're looking to watch Quinn and Williams' development. You're looking to watch some of these other guys, even a guy like Nate Harrison, just building the pieces, 
hoping that Adam Gase and Greg Williams show that they they are the right people to to lead this team. Then knowing that that coming this spring, uh, Joe Douglas will be be making this roster his own even more so than he already has. Uh, and and then 2020 is the year that the, they'll fight. But you know, it's it's hard as a Jets fan to always accept there's always next year. It's not over yet. They still have a chance. Um, but but overall, I, I I feel optimistic about the Jets' um, ability to just show that they they aren't this bad as Connor said. They're not this bad of a team. They're not an amazing team, but they're not this bad of a team. But Michael, any any other you know last words before we close up shop? Yeah, well, just listening to you say that it is it's um it's September 18th right now. It's week two, and we're already talking about. <laughs> Yeah, well, we could look at Nate Harrison. He could look pretty good. Or uh, Adam Gase can show he can lead this team in the future. We're already in evaluation mode and uh, halfway through September here. That's pretty depressing. But, you know, I, I think if you if I knew that before the season that at this point we'd already be talking about this stuff, I'd probably think I would be pretty depressed about it. But with the way that this has happened, it's not like Sam Darnold has been like this awful player and his development has been thrown off because that's the way I felt after the Bills game, the way he played in that game. Just like I was, I was really put off by that and just really worried about the way he played. But, you know, now that we know that he was playing sick and just the fact that this start has really been mostly the result of just ridiculous, ridiculously bad injury luck, then it, it just makes it, it sucks. It's really awful. But at the same time, it it doesn't really I'm not as depressed about it as I would think that. Uh, I would be if I knew this was what was going to happen just because it's just a lot of stuff that they can't really control. And, you know, there are things that have happened that they can control, like the O-line being uh, extremely bad, uh, the tight ends who have and the tight ends are backups, but just the, the O-line being really bad. Uh, some other things, the receivers have been kind of disappointing, you know, and I'm just kind of cycling through here trying to look for things that are actually legitimately disappointing. And other than the O-line, there isn't really a position besides maybe cornerback, although we kind of knew Tremaine Johnson is a pretty terrible player. There aren't really that many positions where, aside from injuries, that have been legitimately disappointing. So uh, I think the the silver lining really is that you can't sit here and say that uh, any of the people, any of the people or players, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, we can't judge Joe Douglas yet because he hasn't really uh, done anything that matters yet. He hasn't run a draft, hasn't run free hey, agency. Hey, hey he but, brought in Nate Harrison. Hey, he did yeah. do that. Nate Harrison. We're in evaluation. I mean, at least mode. that's a good. Well, okay, at least it's a good sign. He brought somebody in off the waivers, and he's he also got in our Khalil, best corner. Okay, but I think he was hoping that Khalil was going to be a little bit. I I and will say, and I, I was trying. Okay, well, Blaine Joe Douglas. Hey, we're hey, Ficken, Hey, Ficken looked all right. That was that was the loudest reaction of the game when he made that field goal. It was like I, such I a such a loud, uh, sarcastic reaction. So uh, he he made a hundred percent that game, which is uh, he's tied for the league lead right now. That's a Great pickup by Douglas right there. I, I was I was curious about, uh, and I was trying to bring it up with with Connor, but it just didn't really fit in. And when we were talking about Adam Gase and, and potentially losing control of the locker room, whatever. But you mentioned Khalil. I do wonder how that has impacted the locker room. The fact that Harrison, who had a great spring, great summer, according to everybody, uh, then just gets unseated without any competition by this guy who came out, and he sucked. And if you listen to... Um, uh, Kalecio Semele on Adam Lefko's podcast, I think it was in like May or something. He talked about, you know, he was like, Jonathan Harrison is a dog. He's going to be good this year. And so I, I am kind of curious as far as if players are calling BS on that and how they, how they reacted to that. Just, just yeah. the little stuff. I, that- I do think that, you know, Harrison seems like a really professional guy just based on like, you know, seeing his interviews and stuff. And you never know whether a guy's good or bad, you know, uh, publicly how they really are behind closed doors, but both him and Khalil seem like pretty professional guys. Harrison took it pretty well, so you'd hope not, but that is a pretty good point. It does seem like something that, you know, because, you know, Harrison was here last year. He finished the season, and again, I don't think he played 
too well at the end of last season. I think people overrate uh, the way he played just because Spencer Long was so absolutely god-awful. And, 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 and the fact that so Sam Darnold play well, uh, played well while Harrison was the center, they overrate him because of that. He's still a lower-level starter and, you know, has the potential to— uh, he hasn't started that many games in the league, so he could— uh, he does have the upside to potentially, you know, be average with some extended playing time. But, you know, he isn't a great player, but he was a part of some success at the end of last season. And, uh, you know, he would be an upgrade, I think. What he brought last season, what he brought in the preseason is easily better uh, than what Khalil has brought. But, you know, he did play with this team. Uh, he has been with this team for a while, uh, started with them th- throughout the offseason, really built some chemistry with all these guys. So it is a good point that it uh, could potentially be something that, you know, rubs some people the wrong way. Because, you know, yeah. we did talk a lot in this podcast about, you know, benching guys like Tremaine Johnson, uh, Ryan Khalil, guys who are making big money, veterans, because they're not playing well, because that's the point that the Jets are at right now. So uh, to go, you know, against that point, you know, and they are kind of making up for it with, you know, benching Johnson. That is something that I think kind of sends not, not necessarily the right message, but it is good to just let everyone know that, you know, they're trying to win games. Doesn't matter how much money you're making, where you're drafted uh, and things like that. But no, it is something that, you know, is uh, it's an interesting dynamic. It really is yeah. just to bring uh, somebody in as late as they did and to yeah. have him start. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I don't think it's going to matter one way or another. I think the Jets, if they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to make the playoffs. But I, I, I'm curious to see Adam Gase and this this locker room if things go south, because I think he's a great coach to have when things are going right. And I bought into Adam Gase. I like Adam Gase. I believe in Adam Gase. But, um, you know, but when things go south, We'll see how his shtick goes. I will give him credit. I think he took way more responsibility for his play calling and stuff this week than he did last week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I like him. I, I think he's an improvement over Bulls. We'll see how much of an improvement. And, look, I mean, you said it. This team needed to be lucky to get into the playoffs. They, they're a good team. They have some good pieces, but they needed to avoid injuries because they have they don't have much depth. And they need to just get lucky with some of these early games uh, and whatnot. They needed things to bounce their way, as most teams do. If you're going to make up – if you're on the, that bubble – of making the playoffs and, and staying at home in January, you need to be lucky. You have to have things bounce your way. And everything has just bounced against the Jets so far. This doesn't mean that the Jets are, you know, a, the you know 30th ranked team in the NFL, as I think NFL.com had them. I don't believe that. I think they've just literally gotten the, the wrong bounce. I think they're probably a middle-of-the-pack team that has just gotten completely unlucky. But things can change. Uh, things can change for, for, uh, for sure. Uh, lastly, we haven't done this in a while. Um, but I know Michael. I know you. You want to close. You'd like to close with a fun question or whatnot. And I think we could we could get some some upbeat um, topics uh, brought in here. So the last question, and this was brought up. Everybody's talking about Jamal Adams' social media removing and whatnot. Um, but I went to look at Jamal Adams' likes just to see if he's been on Twitter or whatnot. Uh, and and the Ringer had posted uh, a photo of of Baker Mayfield getting in Jamal Adams' face after Jamal Adams, you know, uh, laid him out. And and the Ringer said. Uh, Jamal Adams with the late hit and Baker gets right up in his face. You don't mess with Baker, which is just so corny and just <laughs> anyways. Then somebody quote tweeted and said, Jamal Adams will fuck Baker up. What y'all on? And Jamal liked it. So, Michael, my question to you is you have to take one Jets player in a back alley, a street fight, one Jets player on this team. And and I think Bart's, Bart Scott always used to say if you could take one guy uh, into the end of a back alley, he would take Rex Ryan. But ignoring Rex Ryan, current players only, maybe a coach, I guess. If you just take one guy back alley street fight, who are you taking on the Jets? I, th- I think Jamal is the low-hanging fruit guy. I mean, you did just bring him up, so it came to mind. But, you know, he is kind of just because of, uh, you know, how hard he plays and just the way that uh, the smack talk that he brings to the table every single week, uh, you know, even throughout the entire year. He's a low-hanging fruit guy. But then uh, number two for me, who easily came to mind, Kalecio Semley. I'm taking this guy with me. Yeah. He's going to be my bodyguard. I mean, 
what a monster. Hasn't really uh, translated to great pass protection or run blocking so far, but I'll take him in a fight any day. Yeah, I mean, if, if Greg Williams is about 40 years younger, I'd take him. He definitely fights dirty. I mean, he's definitely will spit in your eye and, you know, kick out your ACL. I'm trying to think. I think you're right. It's definitely got to be somebody in the trenches. If you're going with, with uh, Kelechi Assembly, I need a, another heavyweight. Uh, I mean, Jonathan about Harrison. Lachlan if, Edwards? He just mentioned kicking. I mean, you yeah, want a guy yeah. who could kick. That's, that's key. You need <laughs> he leg probably, power. He probably everyone's, would have some Everyone's head. focused on size and uh, upper body strength, but lower body strength matters too. And he's got rugby. I, I mean, I'm assuming he's played rugby because he's Australian, which is kind of probably stereotypical of me, but uh, he has that in his blood, and that's a very rough sport. So I think well, I'd go with Brockton right. Edwards. Technique matters more than size, except Nicoletti Assembly could just sit on him. I, I'm trying to find somebody in the same weight class. Jonathan Harrison is a sneaky good pick. Uh, I mean, if you've seen his legs, just his his leg workout is insane. His calves have more definition than you know most people's arms. How about Henry Anderson? How, that's a guy who could play dirty. Right Henry there. Anderson definitely fights dirty. That's a good one for sure. And he's he's huge too. Isn't he like seven feet or something crazy? And not seven feet, but he's like six. Unless I'm completely wrong. I'm pretty sure he's like one of the taller Jets. Um, Henry Anderson height. Oh, he's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, I mean, he's taller than uh, Leonard Williams. Now, Nathan Shepard, I mean, if you pump him, you know, with some PEDs, he's kind of like Bane. I mean, he's 6'4". I mean, people always compare him to Canadian Thanos. But, I mean, now that he's pumping PEDs, I mean, I don't it's know. more like I, Thanos at the beginning of Endgame. That's really a better comparison. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Kalecio Assembly was probably the best pick. But Greg Williams... In his, you know, his 30s, his late 20s or whatnot, I think he's the best pick for sure. That guy was scary. Imagine that guy yelling at you. Um, anyways, um, I guess that was our fun topic uh, for for the uh, for the end of the podcast. Uh, as we said to Connor, I don't expect the Jets to win this game on on Sunday. Uh, I if they lose, it won't really affect how I feel about this team right now. I still think they can turn things around. I don't think it'll be this weekend with Luke Falk, but I think the things that you're looking for are just play him tough. You know, let's hope Luke Falk has a good game so we can be comfortable with our backup moving forward. But just, yeah, play him tough, play him hard, and just no injuries. That's just the biggest thing. We just can't afford, um, you know, another demoralizing injury, and we can't afford a, you know, another demoralizing loss where they lose by, you know, 30 points or whatnot. We can't just, we can't pull Miami Dolphins and lose 43 to nothing. The Jets have to play him tight because then I think you'll start to hear way more whispers about Adam Gase's job and whatnot. So the Jets just need to have a, a good showing all around, even if they don't get the, the W and just, just to stay healthy. But, That'll do it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at CYJPod. Uh, that's the best place to go to, to find all our episodes and just other content. Our Twitter's been popping off lately, I'll, I'll say. Uh, I've, I've had some fire tweets recently about the updated oval shape, Jamal Adams. I, I don't know. I just If you want a good follow for Jets, uh, for Jets football, you can follow us at CYJPod. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. He's probably a better Twitter account to follow, except he's been fairly inactive for the past few days. I think he's been in hiding. Uh, I'm, coming, I'm coming back. I'm slowly, on the rise a little bit slowly here, but making he a return. He yeah, doesn't he care about you social... being on fire. Let's look at some of my numbers here. I'm going to self boast <laughs> a little bit here. Uh, let's see. Let's look at some of these numbers in terms of likes here. 203, 826, 586, 406, 402 for this Rick and Morty video, which came to mind. That was a really good idea there. We talk about numbers a lot in here. Lowering the volume, upping the efficiency. Good stuff here. Well. Oh yeah, the, your uh, oh I love that tweet. Your, yeah, your tweet that was uh, 826 was all-time leaders in career yards per pass attempt among QBs selected 199th overall. Number one, Luke Falk, 7.92. Number two, Tom Brady, 7.53. <laughs> yeah, I, I give it to you. I give credit to you, Michael. You just find the weirdest 
um, the weirdest stats and, and whatnot. But anyways, you can follow my personal Twitter at Ben W. Blessington. Although, talk about being in hiding. I haven't, I haven't really tweeted from there in a while. But, you know, it's, when the Blazers start playing, I generally start tweeting a little bit more. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, uh, and whatnot. We also really appreciate any reviews you can leave, um, whether they're positive or negative. It really just helps us out. Um, kind of just see, you know, the stuff that works in this podcast and, and it just also just helps out our numbers and whatnot and, and, you know, makes us feel good inside. So, or bad inside, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so you can leave reviews on iTunes. Uh, if you just search cool, your jets, you can also find us in the best place to find jets content and the place where Connor Rogers got to start, uh, turn on the jets.com best jets content all around. There's so many good podcasts, so many good, you know, written pieces and just some of the best jets follows, uh, around, at turnofthejets.com. Um, so before I finish up, and I know you've already gotten through all the promotional stuff here, I just want to kind of close out my thoughts on this New England game and going forward. Is that cool? Oh, yeah. So I, you, I didn't give you an opportunity, Michael, so that is that is 100% cool. I, my apologies. Go ahead. Yeah, so basically what I was getting at before. All right, and that was Michael's thoughts. Yeah, all right, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry, you can go. <laughs> all right, so listen, I was just saying before that I think that you know, just with the amount of in- just look at the injuries that they've had so far. We'll start the defense. You have Jenkins, Copeland, Williamson. Uh, who else do you have? Quinn and Williams, Mosley, five guys right there. And then on offense, you have Herndon, Anunwa, Darnold. So the injuries have just been everywhere. It's been re- and we talked about it all throughout the preseason when we weren't talking about any of these starters. We were focusing on all the backups. We constantly said the depth on this team isn't that good. They're going to need. Uh, better injury luck than most teams if they're going to be successful this season. And they've gotten the worst injury luck in the league uh, through two weeks so far. So uh, for me, I'm not I'm not as, uh, you know, just I'm not as down on this team, just the long term future, or even this season, as I think I would be if I knew they're going to start out 0-2, just because how many things out of their control have gone against them so far. So I think, you know, they're probably going to lose against New England this week. I'm not going to rule it out because I trust in Luke Falk, who has a higher career yards per attempt average. Then Tom Brady, best of all, number one, 99 picks. So I'm not going to rule it out. But uh, yeah, realistically, they're probably going to lose to the Patriots. But listen, you come out of the bye own three. And uh, thank you to the Houston Texans last season and to Sean Watson for actually making this seem like a realistic path. But you come out of the bye own three. Hopefully Darnold's back at that point. And, you know, the Eagles are a great team. I think they're going to I've predicted them to make the Super Bowl before the season. They have a great roster, but uh, you never know. They've lost some games at home that they probably should have won over the past few years. And you get Darnold back, you get Herndon back uh, with for the Cowboys game. Copeland will be back for the Cowboys game and, you know, hopefully give this edge rush a little bit of juice. How much more can we see 300-pound Henry Anderson on the edge? But, uh, you know, I think that uh, just long-term, I don't think there's too much that has happened so far to make you worry about this team. We still got to see how Darnold uh, develops, how he works with Gase. Haven't seen Chris Herndon. Le'Veon Bell's looked good. Hopefully Mosley's healthy. He looked great in his debut, so... Long term, I don't think there's too much to worry about uh, in terms of what's happened so far. And Joe Douglas, we haven't seen him uh, draft yet. We haven't seen him run free agency yet. We're also optimistic about him. And he hasn't really even been able to, you know, make the impact that general managers are just make that long term impact yet. So long term, I don't think there's much I'm too worried about. But in terms of this season, you know, hopefully they could tread water, uh, come out at least one and five, hopefully two and four out of these six games. And then uh, then we can root for root for them to make a ridiculous run midseason against uh, what looks like a really soft schedule. Already have a few teams on their backup quarterbacks uh, in that midseason stretch. So, you know, hopefully they tread water and they can make that midseason run. But long term, my my confidence really isn't too hurt yet because the things that have happened don't aren't really anything that they can control. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, it it, it would be 
much more demoralizing if Sam Darnold and the entire team is healthy, everything was firing at full cylinders, and this is the performance that's been put out. The Jets have just gotten incredibly bad luck. That's not to say that Sam Darnold might not be a bust or whatever, but we at least can have... Look, in this league, you're not supposed to make any excuses, but at least the Jets can look at themselves in the mirror and say, this isn't who we are as a team. We've just, everything has gone against us. And look, you never know what's going to happen. You you mentioned that Eagles game. I mean, we talked about it before the season had started. We had to pick which game was going to be the hardest for our corners, which game was where the corners going to play the worst. And we said this Browns game and the corners have played, I mean, they've only played two games, but the best game that we've seen and the best I've seen the Jets corners play in a while, especially considering that Nate Harrison and Daryl Roberts were your starting outside corners. Nate Harrison pretty much shut OBJ down. I mean, he had that ridiculous catch, but that even that 90-yard touchdown wasn't his fault. That was a miscommunication yeah, that wasn't him. between— that was, uh, that was Hewitt, yeah. Yeah, Hewitt and Poole had a miscommunication. Yeah, so, And even May missed that angle, too. That could have been just a 15-yard catch if, if May gets uh, gets in front of there. And, and who knows? Maybe Joe Douglas— um, you know, has some secret insight on on these Eagles players, knows all their weaknesses or whatever since he was, you know, practically the, the, the Eagles GM. But that's the thing that gives me the most hope is that on one front, this isn't who the Jets are. There's still hope. And on the other front, for the first time in a while, I feel completely 100% confident in who is making these Jets decisions. I'm excited. I mean, look, I, I want the Jets to do well this season. And I, I don't want the draft to come too soon. I, I, I want to enjoy this season. Hopefully the Jets can pick up some wins going to run or whatnot. But I'm excited that I know this team is going to be to continue to move in the right direction. I do expect the Jets to make the playoffs next year because I know the type of draft and the type of aggressive moves that Joe Douglas is going to make, whether it's through trades or free agency. This team is going to be a hell of a lot better uh, come 2020. And I'm just really, I, I really buy in completely into Joe Douglas. So the thing that I'm watching is just when Darnold comes back, when Herndon comes back, fire on all cylinders. If they're not picking up wins, uh, but they're playing well, you know, the offense is Sam Donald's throwing for 350 yards and touchdowns and whatever, and they just look good. Even if they finish the season seven and nine, eight and eight, I'm still happy knowing that who we have making those decisions. So it's not all doom and gloom. I still think the Jets can go on, go on a run here. They still have time. Donald is expecting to come back week five. That's what he just said in his press conference literally all, while we were recording. Uh, you know, th- this is that he, he doesn't want to make any promises, but he fully expects to be back against the Eagles, which is a good news, uh, good news for the Jets. And, and we'll see what happens. But anyways... Uh, again, uh, let's just hope the Jets play hard on Sunday, no injuries, uh, and can maybe walk out of there with a W. But outside of that, everybody have a good week, and, and we'll be back next Monday. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. Good. Intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim. And he's in.